listening to Diverse City Podcast. Please stay tuned to hear a powerful word. For giving or more church information, check us out at diversecity.church. Or to text to give, text DIVERSE to 73256. Thank you for listening and enjoy the word. Celebrate arts and different worship styles. And uh, it just really is such an honor to have so many different kinds of art today. Uh, We had different styles of music, different types. You see the the actual or traditional painting art, as we call it here. And I'm just so thankful. Aren't y'all glad for just this amazing service that these kids had a huge part of today? So glad, so thankful. I just want to say real quick, if you're visiting for the first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today at Diverse City Church. We believe one of the best churches in St. Louis, spirit-filled, relevant, loving. But not only are we loving, we're biblically based and biblically sound, preaching the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. And we are so glad for what God is doing here at Diverse City Church. Amen. With that being said, I want to share with you today, I have to share a message today, but before we do so, I want to allow you the opportunity to watch a video that I saw this morning. This is what I call Fresh Off the Press. This is a video that I saw on CNN. I was, got on my computer at about 6 a.m., and as I got on my computer, got on the Internet, CNN, I went to their website just to see if there's any current events, as I always check as soon as I open up my computer. And, and unfortunately, this is what I saw this morning, and I thought I needed to share it with you guys. At least 137 people have been killed in six explosions, according to officials there. More than 500 people have been wounded. I'm George Howell at the CNN Center in Atlanta. Welcome to viewers here in the United States and around the world. The story we're following, state media in Sri Lanka report three explosions were at hotels. Three other explosions were at churches. And keep this in mind, the background important. All of this seems to be a coordinated set of attacks on a day where Christians are celebrating Easter Sunday. CNN's Nikhil Kumar is following this story for us this hour live in New Delhi. And Nikhil, what more are you learning uh, given the aftermath uh, of these bombings? Well, George, the information is still coming through, but the information, as you said, that we have points to a devastating series of what looks like a series of coordinated attacks. Six bombings, as you say, three of them at churches on this very important day for Christians around the world and in Sri Lanka. We know that hundreds have been injured, at least 137 killed, among them at least nine foreigners. Now, this is a country that in the past has seen a lot of violence. Remember, there was a decades-long civil war that unfolded over here. For many people today, this will be a reminder of that. But in this case, I cannot stress enough, in this case, we don't yet know all the details about who may be behind this. The government hasn't yet pointed the finger at anyone, and we don't know of any claim of responsibility so far. But all the details that we do have points to a devastating set of attacks uh, that for this country is a tragic, tragic reminder of a past that it thought that it, it had left behind. The last few years have been relatively peaceful, and now it looks like we've had a targeted set of attacks uh, on at least this minority today. As you just saw, it says that they thought they had gotten past all of this, but the reality is, is we are not past the fact 
that Christians are being persecuted and hated all over the world. This morning, over 560 and counting have been wounded, and over 140 and counting are dead, all because it's Easter morning. I need you guys to hear that today. I want you to know, and it's important for me to open up with John 15 and 18, where it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Can I tell you that people that really take a stand for Jesus will be hated by people in the world. The Bible also says in 1 John 3 and 13, Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Isn't it funny? Has anyone ever found out that someone didn't like you and you were surprised? If you were, let me tell you what it says in 1 John. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if people hate you because they hated him first. I'll go a step further and tell you, if you are someone that attends church occasionally and does not vocalize your faith, the world will like you. But the moment you begin to share your convictions and you live a life of integrity and the things that you hear on Sunday, you live on Wednesday, the people that liked you before will no longer like you. I'll go a step further and tell you that the world is okay with you as long as you know of God but don't have an intimacy with God. In 2 Timothy 3 and 12, it says, Yes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. It doesn't say everyone that goes to church. It doesn't say everyone that prays. It says everyone who lives a godly life. There is nothing wrong with having faith in being in the world. The problem is when you live a, li a godly life in the world. When you live a life for God, you will be criticized and finger-pointed at for your faith. It's the reality. You can look all on social media. If someone posts a generic good message about the scriptures, everyone amens it and thumbs up it. But the moment they use a scripture that is a little bit harsh, they call them a bigot. You're narrow-minded because the world does not like us taking a stand for the unadulterated Word of God in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. What? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many of y'all want heaven? How many of y'all say, boy, I want heaven to be mine? I think we do. I, I want heaven to be mine. I want heaven to be mine. If you want heaven to be yours, then you need to realize that what you get now is persecution. You cannot have it good now and then good then. That's called American gospel. The Christian gospel says that we will suffer occasionally for God. Then it says, blessed are you, when, when, you uh, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. Or how about 1 Peter 4 and 
14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their, pa- on their part, he blasf- they blaspheme, but on your part, he's glorified. What it says is when people criticize you and post about you or comment on you or gossip about you or share lies about you because you've decided to live for God and now they say, oh, he thinks he's better than everybody else. Oh, she thinks she's this. Oh, you're narrow-minded. And people begin to criticize you. It says they are blaspheming him, but you're giving him glory. You don't need to think, oh, woe is me, I feel so bad, why did I allow this to happen? Here's the reality. When we are enduring persecution from people, God is getting the glory from it. I know that's hard to understand today. Then look what it says in 1 Peter 3 and 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor of their trouble because you're blessed. I can tell you about Romans 8.35, it says, What shall separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, and famine, or nakedness, or, or peril, or sword? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I want someone to know today that the gospel, the real gospel of God does not say that everything's going to be perfect. He says that we're going to be rich and overflowing and he's going to fill our cups and we're going to experience great things. But don't you get it twisted. Not everyone will like you. But here's the good news. Regardless of how far you get from people who hate you, God is always right there beside you. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you today. That was extra. That, that, that was all, all that was from 6 a.m. when I was on CNN. I needed to share that with you. The, the message today is called Jesus is Alive and the Devil is Mad. Let me say this again. Jesus is alive and the devil is mad. Let me talk to somebody on this side. Them, them people over there, they're like Lutherans. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is alive, and the devil is mad. Jesus is alive, and the devil is, is mad. Can I get a, They ain't Luther no more. They spirit-filled. Let me hear. I got, I got any old missionary Baptists on this side? No, just a couple. I know there's a missionary, old missionary Baptist on this side. Look, Jesus is alive, guys. That means there is life for us. Let me tell you what it means when you think about Jesus being alive. Really, quite frankly, I'm excited because if Jesus is alive, that means there's life for me. Let me just lay this out for you to let you better understand what I'm trying to convey. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 33, it says, Then one in the council stood up. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. And he held much respect by all the people. And he said to them, Men of Israel, we've got a problem. 
He says, you need to take heed to yourselves what you intend to do to these men, the apostles. I know they're going around preaching that Jesus has been resurrected. I, I know that they're going around preaching that Jesus saves and delivers. He says, but let me tell you something. Some time ago, there was another man. Do you remember him? Thetis. And he rose up. And he claimed that he was somebody. Y'all remember that? Oh, yeah, we remember that. And a number of men, about 400 to be exact, joined him. But then when he was slain, all the people who obeyed him were scattered and nothing came of it. He says, let me give you another example. There was another man named Judas of Galilee. Don't misunderstand this. This was a different Judas. And that he rose up days after the census, and, they drew away, and he drew away many people after him. But here's the thing. After he perished, all who obeyed him were also dispersed. He says, and now I say to you, keep away from these apostles. Let them alone. For if the plan is a plan of men, then it's going to all fade out. But if it's a plan of God, nothing's going to overthrow it. He says, we've seen it time and time again. People rise up and they claim to be better and bigger than the government. And then when they die, it all phases away. But if this is God, none of us can stop it. And, 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 and hear this Pharisee, someone that was against Jesus, said, Hey guys, the reality is, is we don't need to fight these apostles because here in a short time, it's going to all die anyway. The problem was, was he was speaking a prophetic word and he didn't even know it. He says, if it's of man, it'll die. But if it's of God, no one can stop it. And I want you to know that no one has been able to stop it. Over 2,000 years, theologians have said. Theologians have said that Jesus never traveled. Get this. He never traveled more than 100 miles. Did you hear me? Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born. Yet you can find followers of Jesus in every continent, of every color, both gender, all levels of money and wealth and influence. Countries have been built on Jesus. The reason Christianity spread is because it was of God and no one could stop it. One man turned into three, James, Peter, and John, which turned into the 12 apostles, which turned into the 70 that went out two by two, that turned into the 5,000 that were fed with a couple of fish and loaves, that turned into the sermon on the mountain, him preaching from a boat, but it turned into persecuted Christians being killed. And now we have seen hundreds of thousands and millions of people across the entire world for 2,000 years that are still preaching Jesus. Buddha's temple was cremated and his ashes were put into a monument. 
Some of the most powerful and influential leaders in the world have tombs that you can go and visit them any day that you would like. But when we talk about Jesus, I want you to know that his tomb is empty. And there's no place that you can go to visit him. His name is Jesus and he's alive and well. You can't put him in a category with Buddha. You can't put him in a category with the prophet Muhammad. You can't put him in a category with Joseph Smith. You can't put him in a category with some president. I'm telling you, his name is Jesus. And though he's a dead, he's more alive to today than he's ever been and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us today I want you to know that Jesus is not dead and he cannot be compared to anybody else because when God's behind it nothing can stop it there are no ashes no remains, no body, no bones. Jesus rose from the grave. Easter marks the greatest day of all the world. No other event has impacted the human race like the resurrection in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus has changed everything. Jesus has changed the hearts of men. Jesus has set addicts free. Jesus had brought people out of the pits and put them on a platform. Jesus is the sanctifier, the deliverer, the healer, the way maker, the one that's got all peace and authority in his hand. I want to talk to you about Jesus today. Jesus split the calendar from B.C. to A.D. Jesus there have been more books written about him than any other book that's ever been written. Jesus has had more songs composed about his own name and deity than any other subject in the entire human race. Jesus. There's been more art made about him. There's been more history around him. If you don't think that Jesus is more than a prophet, you've been brought into deception by the demonic influence of hell I want you to know that he's more than a picture in a frame or a fat man on your mantle or a nice little cute emblem that you pray to he's alive and well and he changed our entire world the entire world has been affected by Jesus Look, you can be an antichrist if you want, but don't tell me you're in year 2019 because you're professing Christ and don't even know it. You can't say you're in year 2019, but yet believe that there is no Christ. Because literally, that is the name connected to B.C. and A.D., our world has been significantly impacted. Laws have been written. Countries have been built. There's been disputes and fights and wars and civil war over the name of Jesus. I just want someone to know today that maybe came here wondering, is my faith real? And I want you to know that your faith is very real. And you've got proof of the fact that nearly a kid were killed 
or or injured this morning. The devil's not happy. Matter of fact, this is off my notes. I feel like God wants me to tell you that the devil's not happy that some of you all are in church today. And just like he tried to blow up some places and cause problems over there in that other country, I believe that the devil is mad at you being here today and he may try to blow up some things in your life. But you need to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And even though there may be some temporary devastation, don't you give in and don't you give up. You just keep pressing the good, the good fight and doing the good thing and living the good life for Jesus. And sooner or later, you're going to say, oh, yes, Lord, I see your hand working even in my own life. When you think about Jesus... There's a few things you think about. I'm going to try to move fast. Number one is the forgiveness in his death. The forgiveness in his death. In Romans chapter 3 and 23, I'm going to try to do a little theological lesson here for you. So to get boring just for a second for those of you that only like hooping and hollering. Uh, in Romans chapter 3 and 23... It says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What this scripture is simply saying is that all of us have fallen short, right? If you have not messed up, raise your hand. Oh, I'd like to see somebody raise their hand right now. Everybody in here didn't raise their hand. Nobody did. Nobody. No, no one. You know why? Because we're all jacked up. Way before I ever said that we should come up with a slogan that says we're the perfect church for imperfect people. The Bible's been saying it for thousands of years. Because we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all sinned, right? Okay, so let me tell you what the consequences are for your sin. Romans chapter 6 and 23. For the wages of sin, or better yet, the compensation for your sin is death. You and I deserve to die because of our sin. Everybody say amen. amen. Look at Leviticus chapter 11 verse, or chapter 17 verse 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the, everybody say that word, blood. Okay, and then it says, it's what? Blood sustains its life. Life is in the blood. Now this is being written approximately... Moses, Moses was around in 1400 B.C., so we're going to say 1400 B.C. In 1400 B.C., Moses was saying what doctors believe they just found out now, that life is in the blood. See, look, you don't need no scientific uh, uh, name connected to your title in order to know there's life in the blood. I, I don't need to go and study biology or chemistry or go to med school or be a nurse. I can tell you, quite frankly, there is life in the blood. Y'all with me? There's life in the blood. So, it, look, if there's no blood in you, guess what? You're dead. We can't live without blood. You can live without certain organs. You can live without, without certain limbs. But you cannot live without blood. Because there is life in the blood. 
And in Hebrews chapter 9 and 22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And then it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to see that the only way that sins can be forgiven is by and without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is it that sin has to be fixed by blood? Because sin can only be fixed by something that has life because sin causes death. Y'all with me? God has never, ever ever allowed people's sin to be forgiven a different way. God's not been doing this for 2,000 years. God has expected and mandated blood sacrifices since the beginning of the human race. Jesus and the process of getting to God did not start 2,000 years ago. Everybody say amen. The process of getting to God through a blood sacrifice has always been. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, how, how pastor, how is that possible? Well, think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And what did they do after they sinned? They covered themselves. They went and they, they made themselves some homemade Gucci underwear. I'm thinking thongs, but I don't know for sure. I'm not real sure. Because they were super saved. They just had a little sin, so I think they had thongs on, but I don't know that for sure. I don't know that. I bet you ain't heard that preach before. I won't preach that at the church I'm going to, I tell you that. They'll fire me in a month. They'll get you. Yeah, I got to give it to them slow, honey. <laughs> she said, that's why you need to stay here. Mona Lisa, I promise I've, I want to. Don't say that again because I'll cry. And I don't want to cry right now. Thank you. So God showed up on the scene and said, what who told you to go make Gucci thongs? Adam, you nasty anyway. Get, your, get some clothes on. Boy, you nasty self. And it says that he went and he covered them with what? Skin. Animal tunic. In order to cover something with animal, what do you have to do? Kill the animal. Do you know the very first person that sinned was Adam, and the only way that Adam was forgiven was by an animal being sacrificed in his place? I could go forward and tell you about Cain and Abel and how God honored one of their sacrifices but not the other one because one was connected to works. The other one was a blood sacrifice. We could move forward and I could tell you about many others such as Jacob and, and then we could keep going to David and keep moving forward to Solomon and other kings after that. God has always expected sacrifices of something 
with blood in it because of our sin we deserve to die and the only way that we could live is if something died in our place everybody say amen, amen. so then we go forward to Moses and how he is with his uh, army of Israel and how they were going before the king of Egypt multiple times and he says if you don't forgive us or let us go rather I am going to have to perform a plague on you that you will regret and the tenth plague was the plague called Passover and they slain a lamb they slayed a lamb and that blood from that lamb God said was the Passover lamb that allowed all of Israel not to die because there was a blood sacrifice made in its place, in their place. And then you go to 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, and it says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. We deserve to die, but Jesus died for us that the death angel can pass us over. Somebody needs to hear that on this side. I didn't get no amens. Jesus died that his death would be what would fix your sin, that death could pass you over. And if you've been set free from drug addictions, you need to be thankful for the lamb that helped you to get drug addiction to pass on over you. If, if alcoholism has passed you over, if the spirit of divorce has passed you over, if the spirit of poverty, of depression, of anxiety, of worry, if it has passed you over, you need to say, Lord, I'm thankful for that lamb that was slain because of him. I've got stuff passing me over. Some of y'all need some more Jesus in your life so some other stuff can get passed over. And you can say, Lord, I got a whole lot of stuff that need to pass over me I need Pookie to pass over I need Ray Ray and them to pass over I need some generational stuff to pass over I need some anger to pass over I need some loneliness to pass over I need some worry to pass over me but the only way that we can find deliverance and have Passover is through the lamb who is our Passover 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, it says the message of the cross is foolish. It's foolish to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Let, let me explain. Look, my stool's here. Somebody said last week, Pastor didn't. He said that when he sits in the stool, it's getting serious. David said that. So, so it's about to get serious up in here because I'm going to sit down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 18, y'all with me? Everybody with me? Y'all see that? It says the message of the cross is what? Foolish. Now look, I need you to get this. Who, who's it foolish to? To those who are perishing. But, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Let, let me explain what this means in its simplest form. If you sit back and listen to this theology, it seems crazy. How can my life get better through someone's death, right? How can I be changed internal, internally 
from someone who died 2,000 years ago. How is it possible that my sins can be forgiven or I can be in right standing with God from something dying? That's stupid. That, that don't even make sense. I mean, I believe that I got to work hard for it. I, I believe that I got to make some changes in my life. I believe that I need to become a better dad or a better mom. Or I need to go on missions trips or I need to feed the homeless. I, I believe that the only way for me to be right with God is to work. It, it doesn't really seem right. It seems quite foolish, actually, that you're telling me that I can be changed by someone that died and I never knew 2,000 years ago. See, because to those that don't understand it, it's foolish. But once you have been saved by the power of God and you have seen him work in your life and things have been transformed and people sit back and they're in all of you and they say, man, that's not the old Ray I know. That, that's, you're, you're different than what it used to be. You would snap off. You would go off. Something's different in you. See, when something changes in you and you have experienced the Passover lamb personally, then people from the outside don't understand what's happening on the inside because they don't realize what has been happening in you. And I say that to you because when you go to work and you talk about Jesus, people aren't going to understand it. They're not supposed to understand it. How can someone who's never been there and been delivered from that understand your testimony when you came through it? This ain't on my notes, but here's what I feel like God wants me to say. You need to stop going to work and try to convince people. You cannot convince people. You have been there. You've been through it. God has touched you. He's redeemed you. He's delivered you. He's done a work in you. It's not your job to convince people that Jesus is good, that he's God, that he's Savior. All you need to do is say, I'm going to work and I'm going to work hard. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to show them God in me. And sooner or later, they too will have their deliverance moment. You don't need to be mad because you, they don't understand it. They don't need to understand it. They're not going to understand it. How many of y'all does it make mad when the world don't understand it? Be honest. Right? I, I, let me give you a good example. I hate it when the church puts Christian principles into the hands of worldly people. Why would you expect the world to have Christian principles? I mean, the church can't even have Christian principles. That's a whole other story, right? Look, you can't have the ushers, the usher board, the dignitary, the auxiliaries, the bishops, the reverends, the pastors, the first ladies, the, the angel of the house. You know I'm going black now. I just bless God for the angel of the house. <laughs> I bless God for the angel of the house who's given me permission to preach to you today. But the reality is, is there are so many people that have titles in the church. 
that does not live the word of God, but yet we post all of this arrogant, stupid, narrow-minded, tunnel vision stuff on Facebook, posting and tagging people that you know don't know Jesus. Can I tell you, if they don't know Jesus, they will never do what you do, and they shouldn't. The only people who should do what we do is those who understand what he did. Ooh, I'm preaching to somebody today. The second thing I need you to see, I only got three points, so y'all good. Just hold on with me. The second point, number one, is that because of Jesus, there is forgiveness. Can I, can I have that back up real quick so they can see it? Forgiveness in his death. The reason that he died was that you could be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But here's the good news. After he died, three days later, he rose from the grave. I'm glad that he didn't just stay in the grave. Because if he would have stayed in the grave, I would have been forgiven. But I'd still be using, abusing, cheating, lying, manipulating, backbiting, stealing, gossiping. But because of the resurrection on the third day, I've not only been forgiven, but I've been renewed, revived, restored, and set free and empowered for the work of God, for the glory of God. And now I walk different. I talk different. I reason different. I make decisions different different my life has been changed why because of the resurrection new life is in his resurrection death brings me forgiveness but resurrection brings me new life I'm gonna sit down y'all ready a lot of y'all want the cross, but you don't want the resurrection. You want to be forgiven by God, but you don't want to live for God. And then we sit back and look at this young punk who's only 38 years old, and we wonder how did he go so far, and I just can't figure it out. It's because I sold out to Jesus at the age of 20. I told God, I said, you know what, I know I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to keep failing you miserably, Lord. But I did it my way for a long time and it didn't really work from 13 to 20. I was all about me. I did what I want. I moved out of my house at 15. I thought I knew everything. Couldn't teach me nothing. Then the Lord got a hold of me and radically changed me. And I said, God, I don't want to be one of those people who fill a pew for the rest of my life. I want to change the world because you've changed me. And I say that to all of you here because I wasn't satisfied with just the cross. Because the cross mean I was forgiven, but I'd still be like my dad and my granddad. And I'd still have Pookie and then my, my blood. And I'd still struggle with this and with that. And, and I knew that the Bible said that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And that means that old things had passed away and all things could become new. And I didn't want to stop at the cross. I wanted to get to the resurrection. Some of you today... At the end of service, need to be at this altar because you say, God, I want to go beyond the cross. I want to go beyond the cross, God. 
I don't just want to be forgiven. I want to be changed. I don't want to just be, get to heaven. I want to make an impact on earth. I don't want you to just know my name and I'm in the Lamb's book of life. I want dim devils to tremble when I go into work because they're intimidated by my integrity and people love me because my character and my joy is so noticeable that I'm like a magnet. I'm not the only one that people should want to be around. You know, just the other day I said to myself, I was talking to my neighbor on the right, not you, Brother Dave, and my neighbor on the left, it was, and I spoke to this one uh, one day, and I told him I was going to be moving to Maryland to be back with my parents, and then a few days later I talked to the neighbor on this side, and both of them were devastated, and I walked away, and I said to myself, I said, Lord, I'm so thankful that it's not just the church that I've impacted. Guys, can I be honest with you and tell you that you're not supposed to just impact people from a stage on Sunday morning. If you packed up and moved, would your neighbors mind? Would they even know? I want you to know that my neighbors will know when I move. Because Lorinda won't be driving them to the hospital no more. My kids won't be running over to Dave's house anymore. Because we're not going to say hello and, and, and bring some food to this neighbor anymore. Because I'm not going to take the one down the street who continues to deal with drugs and alcohol addiction over and over to the psych ward because they're battling with depression. I want to ask you a question. If you moved off your street, would anybody know it? Look, my ministry did not start on this platform. My ministry started in jail, actually. And when I left that jail, those people were sad to leave, see me go. And when I went to my next place, my next destination, as a, I was an electrician, a foreman, my company was sad to see me go. And then when I was a youth pastor, they were sad to see me go. When I was an executive pastor, they were sad to see me go. And I'm here, and you'll be sad to see me go. But let me tell you, wherever I go, people will be sad that I leave. You want to know why? Because it's a joy that's inside, a love, a compassion, a genuineness. We, the people of Jesus Christ, need to start making an impact in our world. Where? 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 If, you, if, if you move tomorrow, would your neighbors even know? Would they? I'd like to ask you to stand up if your neighbors would know. But I don't want to do it because... They would know or they would not? Oh, they would know for the right reason, though. For the right reason, though. All right, let me make, I got to ask this question a little bit different. If you moved out of the neighborhood and your neighbors knew that you moved, are they going to be upset or happy you're gone? Because some of y'all here today, if you leave, quit, they're going to be happy. They're going to praise God and they ain't even a Christian. Be like, Lord, now, I know, now I'm going to church. That Christian left my work. Hey, amen. Romans chapter 3, or chapter 6, it says, look, look, check it out. Y'all ready? Here you go. It says, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that, that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right? We were baptized into his death. 
Therefore, if we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that means that we are also raised with Christ from death by the glory of God the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. If you have died with Jesus, you should be living like Jesus. Because if you have died, your ways have died. I know a lot of Christians who say they're dead, but I can't see it. Oh, man, it got real quiet up in here. Did you feel how quiet it got? It, I mean, it's a different quiet. I love it when that happens. Because the goal is, look, we can, look, if I can leave you with it, let me leave you with this. Don't believe what the world tells you anymore about, well, God loves me where I'm at, and, you know, what he, he understands. No, 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 no. The word of God says, be ye holy for I am holy. The Bible says that we are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, guess what? All things have become new. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is new. Another scripture, it says, anyone born of God, but this is hard, I know, sinneth not. That's what the King James says. New, new version says, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. What this means is occasionally as Christians, we will mess up because we're stupid, we're human, we're in the flesh. But more so than not, we've got the power, look, I know this is going to be scary, not to sin. Now, now look, there's a big difference. Look, look, I need you to get this. I'm not saying we're without sin. The Bible also says he who says he's without sin is a liar. We're all jacked up and we all have issues. But don't allow this idea and concept that we're all messed up to mean that you can just be messed up. We come in messed up, but the goal is that we look like him and no longer like us. Who I am today isn't who I was when I was 20. I'll go a little bit further. Who I am today is not who I was when I came to this church in 2009. Who I am today isn't who I was five years ago. Who I am today is not who I was two years ago. You want to know why? It's called the process of sanctification. That means I am continuously growing to become more and more like God over my entire life. We have to stop saying to ourselves, oh, God loves me. Wait where I'm at. I'm just going to keep doing me. No, we don't do me. I'm a do me, bro. YOLO, you only live once. You know what I'm saying, bro? No, I don't know what you're saying. I don't get it. I don't understand it. That's a lie from the pits of hell. It's not about you. It's all about him. Look, I hate, hate, hate. I'm not. Tears, I command you to dry up right now. I refuse. Okay. I hate that I've got to leave. Wrong time, wrong time, too soon. That's all right, it's all good. Whoever said it, Jesus love you anyway. I hate that I have to go, and I do not want to go. 
but I feel more like I'm supposed, I feel like if I would stay, it would be the easy way, and I would be in disobedience, and I would be simply giving in to not hurting people. I don't want to hurt nobody, and it breaks my heart to see people cry because of all I've invested, and now I'm leaving. I hate it. But you have to understand that at the end of the day, I've got to follow the Lord. It's not meant to be easy. It's not meant to make sense. I don't need to understand it all. And I'm just saying that to you because some of you have to come to the grips and the understanding that you've got to relinquish your rights and say, Lord, wherever you go, I'll follow. Don't just sing about it. Do it. If it would only been the cross, I'd stay here. But because of the resurrection, I got to go. And some of y'all were saying, well, I don't get it. I mean, that kind of hurts. How do you think my dad felt when I got saved in the pen and got out? And as soon as I got out, I went to Bible college. And then after that, I came here. And I've not been around for 14 years. And I told him the same thing. Dad, because of the resurrection, I got to go. It's never easy. But I've got to go where I feel like the Lord is leading. It would be easy to stay at the cross. But it gets hard when you live in the resurrection. Somebody needs to hear that again. It's easy when you stay at the cross. That's where you preach grace all day. That's why you tolerate your sin and you never stand up for anything. At the cross is where you love everybody for where they are and, and you never get mad at what you did and you always blame it on everybody else. But in the resurrection, you're always looking at yourself. At the resurrection, it's not about you. I need us to understand something today. God is trying to take you beyond the cross into the resurrection. Because you're tired. Cornelius is tired of being at the cross. He's tired of being self-centered and self-consumed. And he's saying, Lord, I love you, but I know there's more out here. And I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. Today is a day that we say, God, I'm going beyond the cross. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me shall never, ever die. I want you to know there's new life that God wants to come out of you. And here's my last point. Number one, there's forgiveness in the cross. Number two, there's new life in the resurrection. And number three... Evil will not prevail. Evil will not prevail. In our world today, for, uh, prevail, somebody like, ah, prevail, what's that word mean? It means wind. 
It won't overcome. It will not conquer. Evil will not conquer. Evil will not win. What that means in its simplest form is that God still sits on the throne and that he will always win. That every battle you come into, you will be victorious. You will be a conqueror. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul said, you will be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. In our world today, it seems like the bad guy always wins. It seems like whoever cheats gets further. The one whoever who lies the most gets more. The one who steps on other people's back seems to get ahead. And it seems like the good guy never prospers. Right? It seems like the good guy never prospers. He never prospers. How many of y'all can relate to that? Can you relate to that? You see good people and you're like, dude, what's going on? I don't see anything changing in them. And then you see people who lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, scheme the system, and they got more than the good people do. And you're like, I don't understand it. And that's our world today. You look at it, look how often you read about politicians cheating. You see CEOs working the system, knowing how to get all the tax breaks. They get the best contracts with, with big businesses. All while the little man is falling deeper and deeper into poverty. Can I tell you today that even though our world is falling apart, that evil will not prevail. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like the little guy won't get anywhere. It seems like doing the right thing's not paying off. It seems like my faith doesn't have a real purpose or grip in changing my life. Can anybody relate to that? You wonder, is church really doing anything? Is faith in them even doing anything? Is integrity even make a difference? Do I really have to not lie and cheat and work the system? Because I see people doing the opposite and boy, it's working good. And what I want to call you people is in the middle. You're in what I want to call the second day. The first day was the cross. The third day was the resurrection. But I want to talk to you in my closing minutes about the grave. Can you just put your mind around the apostles thinking about how they were told that Jesus was the king of the Jews and that he was going to do all this fabulous work and restore the kingdom of God, that he was the Messiah, the son of God, the redeemer, the saver, the deliverer, and now he's dead and in a grave and they have been silenced in their homes. Thinking all hope is gone. Maybe everything we've been living and proclaiming for the last three years was fake. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Maybe he had great charisma, great gifts, a great anointing, but maybe he wasn't the one Isaiah prophesied about. And I can just imagine them beginning to doubt and, and speculate and wonder and draw conclusions, wondering if it was really even important or necessary to be in church anymore. That's where some of you find yourself today. 
You find yourself in a place where it looks like the bad guy always win and you're second guessing your faith that you've had for so many years and I want to tell you this, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 15, he says, therefore my beloved brethren, I need you to be steadfast, immovable, what he means is don't move. I need you to always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that eventually your labor will not be in vain. Everybody say eventually. Eventually. Knowing that at some point, at some time, everything that you stand for will pay off if you don't give up. But here's the problem. The Apostle Paul said, Beloved, I need you to be steadfast. Do you know what steadfast means? It means that you don't move. It means you take a solid stand on what you're going to do and you stick to it. This is the opposite of double-mindedness. This is the opposite of flakiness. This is the opposite of lukewarmness. This is the opposite of American Christianity that's up and down, in and out, back and forth. I'll cuss you out this week and love you next week. This says steadfast. You won't be moved. I won't let nothing move me. I hate that my parents died, but I won't let it move me. I hate that someone left me, but I won't let it move me. I hate that all this fell apart, but I won't let it move me. I don't like the transitionings that are happening in my life, but I won't let it move me. I don't understand why life is so difficult, but I won't let it move me. I thought I was getting a fastball and I got a curveball, but I won't let it move me. I thought they would be here till I die and they're about to leave me but I won't let it move me I thought I'd have this job the rest of my life and I just got told I gotta resign but I won't let it move me I know that I thought everything was written out I thought they would live longer than me I thought I'd always be with them I thought I'd always live here I thought it always looked like this and my life's been turned upside down but I want to tell you something I won't let it move me I need somebody that'll say I won't let it move me no more I'm not gonna quit no more I'm not gonna give up anymore I'm gonna keep on keeping on everybody else may call it quits but I'm here for the long haul God I'm gonna stay my course I'm gonna keep my faith and I'm gonna know that God is gonna come through this is our time It's Easter Sunday, and I want to make a challenge to all of you that are here today. What is it? May, April 21st. Give the Lord the rest of April and the rest of May. And I believe between the, by the end of May, those of you that only come to church occasionally, God's going to do something so profound in your life, you're going to see how you cannot miss anymore. Six weeks. All I'm asking you to give is six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. I believe that, well, look, I'm, I, here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that we are going to trust God and we're going we're to put him forth at his word. Because there's a lot of people, all of you, Believe in the cross, or you wouldn't be here. But many of you have not got to the resurrection 
And my goal for you, all of you, is to experience what I've experienced and have what I have and to see what I see. Because God didn't just want to do it in me. He wants to do it in you. In you, in you, in you, in you, all of you. I know that you're going to have to get up early. I know that some of you got to go to work after you leave church. I know that you've got to get a couple of kids ready by yourself because somebody in your family left you. I know that it's not going to be easy, but can I just challenge you? Give the Lord six weeks, all of April and all of May. And for those of you that are on the fence, I am going to pray that God's going to show you something so significant in the next, next six weeks that you will be reminded that being steadfast is not an option, but a command, and you need to stick to it because your whole entire life is contingent upon it. So here we go, altar call. If you, if you say, Pastor, I want the cross, I, I need you to come at this altar. I want forgiveness. I want forgiveness. I need you here. For some of you are saying, you know what, Pastor, I, I know that God forgives me, but it's more than that. It's more than that. I want the resurrection. I want new life. I need you here. I need you here. I need you here. Come on, come on, come on. I want new life. I want new life. I want new life. I want more. I want more. I want more. And here's the third call. A lot of you have new life. Maybe you've got a new life, things are pretty well, but you find yourself in what I call the second day. Things are overwhelming you, you're frustrated, you're irritated, and you almost want to give up. And I want to challenge you, if that's you, I need you here. Come on, come on. There's a lot of people here that fits with this. I need you here. I need you here right now. I need you here. This is a good Sunday to be here. God, I'm, I'm in the second day. I'll be honest with you, God. I'm overwhelmed. I've been, I've been second-guessing my faith. I've been doubting your word. I've been wondering if the good guy will ever win. I see everything working, but things for me. If that's you, I need you here. I need you here. Come on, come on. Don't, don't you be embarrassed. Don't you. Come on, come on. Oh, Pastor, if your life is not where you want it to be, and there's a whole lot more you're looking for, and you're wondering how in the world is it going to work out, I need you here. You're in the second day. I need you here. I need you here. I need you here. Father, the, the resurrection, the power of God is in the building. The, the power of God is here. He's got a plan for us. God, we are coming to you right now on this resurrection Sunday because we're believing that you've got a plan for us, Lord. And I know that there is no doubt in my heart that you want to do to these family members of mine the same thing that you did in me. That's what I'm praying for right now. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God imparts to you the anointing that is upon my life and even greater. And that he's going to take you further than you ever imagined. That things are going to begin to make sense. That doubt is going to die. That faith is going to begin to rise. I'm praying for transformation. I sense in my heart that there is a regeneration that is happening right now. That there is restoration. There's revival. There's a new faith being stirred up today. I believe it. I, I sense it. I sense it. I, God, I know that you're up to something. And I pray all the way from the woman of God right here on the end all the way across in the name of Jesus. I pray for every single person that's at this altar. No more cross. I got to stop right here. It's bigger. Somebody right here. God wants you to know it's bigger than being forgiven. Some, some of y'all are tired. 
You're sick and tired of knowing Jesus but not having life. And God is saying it's a new season. It's a new season. The resurrection. No more hypocrisy. No more wishy-washy. No more double-mindedness. No more up and down. No more in and out. God is saying stability. Steadfastness right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord. For all of my family and friends, my brothers, my sisters, that it'll be so much bigger than forgiveness, that they will develop a, a real love for you, that it'll no longer be their life, but it'll be your life. God, I pray that there is the transformative power of Jesus through the blood and the Holy Spirit moving right here in this section that there is a radical transformation about to break out right here. I, I, a, a crazy praise, a, a, a contagious joy, a glorious transformation right here. There's some things in you all, I don't know who, somebody, you've been struggling with and you said, Lord, I don't want to be this way and I'm praying breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough, Lord. Beyond the cross, beyond the grave, newness of life. All things passed away. All things become new. All things new, God. No more playing church. No more talking about the goodness of the God, but I'm just as, I'm just as evil as can be. No more. This is a new season. I decree a new season. I declare a new season. I prophesy a new season. I pray a new season over the people of God, Lord. May your resurrection not be in vain. May we be changed in the name of Jesus. Let's all sing this, and then we're going to close in two minutes. We're going to, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't leave. Look, just stay, just five more minutes, guys. Stay, just stay with me. Five more minutes. Some of you all aren't here, and you just need to sing this out from your seats. You need to just, whatever that means, put your head down and pray. Raise your hands up and stretch them out to the Lord.
Father, we honor you today. Fill me up, God. 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 Sing that. Make that the song you want. Fill me up, God. 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 Yeah. 